Good to see everybody here today. So excited to be back. And two words God gave us for this church. If you know them, shout them out with me, everybody. Hope and healing. Hope for your tomorrow and healing from your yesterday. It's the best news you've heard all day already, and it's all found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Sean, and my wife, Diane, and I, we are so privileged to pastor this great, beautiful collection of people called Fellowship Church, and we're in a series called I Love My Church, and this is the last and final installment of this incredible series, and next week, you are not going to want to miss next week, it is our 15-year anniversary. Bring your friends, your family members, anybody you can grab. Uh, I believe it's going to be a great, great Sunday, great weekend, all five services, so Let's pack this place out all five times. All right, everybody? Grab your notes out. Grab your pens. And we've been in a series called I Love My Church. And some people are like, well, why, why the series? Because the church is so important. God, really, I believe that the church is God's gift to whatever city a church is in. Not just this church. All the churches that are preaching the Bible and Jesus and so grateful for all the other churches in the Bay Area we're working alongside together with. So transformation really is the highlight of this series. We love transformation stories. We love transformational stories when it comes to working out. Somebody works out, gets in shape. We like to see the before and after picture. We like old cars that are rusty buckets and then they're transformed. We love a little bean that's plucked and then it is roasted and then it is ground and you press some coffee through that bean. Come on, how many thank God for coffee? transformation. That bean has been transformed into incredible juice, nature's nectar. Well, we love stories of transformation, but I'm not here to talk to you about transformational stories in those types of ways. I want to tell you some stories of people's lives that have been transformed spiritually. And I want you to understand the benefit and the investment and the return on investment. Every time that you pray or serve or give here at the church, you are creating an incredible transformation opportunity for thousands of people every single week. Now, here's the deal. Jesus started the church. Matter of fact, Matthew 16, 18, it's one of our theme verses that says, Jesus is talking, says, I will build my church. Whose church is it? It's his church. So church wasn't man's idea, it's God's idea. And this phrase has become popular around the nation really the last several years, and it's this, that the local church is the hope of the world. Can you say that with me? The local church is the hope of the world. One more time, nice and loud. The local church is the hope of the world. Paul will come along in Ephesians chapter 5 and say, Jesus is the head, the church is his body, of which he is the Savior. Christ is the head, the church is his body. Christ is the head, the church is his body. That's why you can never decapitate Jesus. Some people are like, I'll just love Jesus, but I'm not going to do that church thing. That's not okay with him. Because if he, he birthed the church, turned around and gave his life for the church, how many think the church is probably pretty important to Jesus? And what's important to him ought to be important to us. Now, some of you are like, well, I thought Jesus was the hope of the world. He is. But Ephesians 3.10 says it was his intent that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. He wants to reach the world through the church, so we can make more stories like this one. This next story is going to be amazing. It's actually somebody from our AU student ministry, and I wanted you to hear from the young and old alike 
God is moving in our church. God's moving in our community. And I can't wait for you to hear the story of Jason. All right, we're here. You ready? Let's go. No crime in this neighborhood. Fellowship Church ah. Home Invasion! Ah. You ready church? Yeah. I can't even see you, bro. You're camouflaged. Ah. You're a pit bull. It's okay, Pastor. It's okay. Come here. Just kidding. <laughs> Will he bite me? No. Everybody has an animal. This is Russell. Russell. Hi, Russell. How are you? Why is it like trying to peel out on me? I need to hold you. Whoa. So easy. This is so easy. Should fix your foot. Oh, watch out! Uh -oh. What? Oh. <laughs> watch out! Jason, thank you so much for taking time to hang with us a little bit today, no man. Um, so proud of you. You've become an amazing young man of God. And um, what I love about the "I Love My Church" series is that I get to hear people's stories firsthand. You've been coming to church now for how long? Uh, three years. Three years. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit. Take me back before the church, before you came. What was life like for you? What if? What's your story like? Uh, I wasn't really like a, a church person. I knew I believed in God, but I didn't really give my life to Him. I didn't. I didn't give Him my all. I I was just lost on where I was going and what what my purpose was. I don't have like a really close relationship with my dad, and. That's like one of the reasons why I felt lost and why I was so hurt. And it felt like I didn't have a father. My dad loved me, I knew that. It just seemed like he didn't want to show it to me. He felt like he was just too scared to be a father to me. You were, you were preaching this one message, it was about forgiveness. And there's this one thing that you said, you said, the first person that comes into, into thought is the first person you need to forgive. And I, I thought of my dad. I didn't really know I had to forgive him. I didn't know what to forgive him for. But God was pushing that onto my heart that I needed to forgive him. And uh, I've been trying my best to bring him to Christ. And he has. Uh, recently, he, he went to the men's conference. Come on. And I'm very proud of my dad, where we are right now. Forgiveness is such a powerful gift that God gave us. And anytime we have a hard time forgiving somebody else, we just really need to come into the realization of how much God forgave us, and that's great motivation. Now I'm just super involved with the church. I, um, I serve on the creative team. I, I serve with Kids Church. AU is doing so good. They're progressing just off the charts how um, AU is doing right now and how many kids are just coming in to give their life to Christ. The Nicaragua mission trip, it was just amazing. We went to different schools. I knew that they needed my prayers. It was just a life-changing experience, really. It's just amazing how many kids gave their lives to Christ. 
um, how many lives I prayed over. A lot of stories were made that day. A lot of stories that were made that week, actually. Yeah. And um, and you helped make them. <laughs> I did. Young 16-year-old boy from Antioch. <laughs> I'm just really excited for what else is up to come. I'm Jason Mendoza, and I love my church. Incredible story. Jason said this. He said, I felt lost. We'll write this down in your notes, everybody. The church is a place to find direction. The church is a place that you actually can find direction. Proverbs 3.5, which is a really a theme verse for a lot of people, says this, that, that you're to trust the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean to your own understanding. That's a big temptation of ours, to lean to our own understanding, try to figure everything out. Don't do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge God. Submit to God. And here's the promise. He said he would make your crooked path straight. Now, that's direction. He gives you clear direction. Do me a favor right now. Everybody point to where you think north is. Everybody point to where you think north is. That's awesome. Somebody pointed up. <laughs> that's great. Hey, listen, I want to tell you today, there's a lot of people that are confused. And some of you guessed. You're just like, uh, uh that away. Then there are others of you that you're like, I'm just going to wait till everybody else points, and then I'm going to follow that. How many, point again, where you think north is? Okay, north is that way. How many got it right? Raise your hand. Now listen, in life, that's kind of how we go through life. A lot of us don't know clear direction, and so we feel uneasy. We feel unsure, uncertain. And I'm telling you, feeling lost in life is a horrible feeling. Like, what did we do, ladies and gentlemen, before we had GPS? Some of y'all don't know nothing about that. Everybody like 20 years and under, you, they have no concept of what we had to go through. If you get lost nowadays, you just whip out your little cell phone, talk to your personal assistant named Siri and say, get me step-by-step -step directions of where I want to go. There used to be a time where there was no Siri. There used to be a time where we didn't have cell phones, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, talk back to me. It was you in a car with like a 10-foot mat <laughs> arguing with everybody else in the car about where you were. Or you had to trust a random stranger. Remember that? Remember how creepy that was? Maybe walking on the sidewalk at nighttime in the dark alone, and you just slow your car down to the same pace they're walking, roll your window down and say, hey, you know, start walking all fast. Stranger danger, stranger danger. Remember when MapQuest came out? MapQuest, when it first came out, that was an amazing invention. You could print directions from your home computer. You're looking up the directions. Your friends are hurrying you up like, come on, let's go, let's go. Hold on, i got to print up the directions. And yet your, your printer was always out of ink. <laughs> Why is that, right? But you still printed them, didn't you? They're all faded, rolling down the street. They're begging you for directions. Where am I supposed to turn? Where's my next turn? You're like, um, turn right on Olympia. Or maybe it's Oregon. It could be ostrich. I don't know. Just turn on a road that has a letter O on it. Like, I'm not sure. But you, you're so judgmental when you stop to ask people for directions. You wouldn't ask certain people. You would look for somebody who looked like they knew where they were going. Come on, talk back to me, everybody. You know, your friends are like, hey, ask him. No, he don't know where you're going. <laughs> like, really, just walking aimlessly? 
And then there's the people that were super helpful, like super, they thought, you thought they were going to be helpful. They're super eager. You're like, hey, can you tell me where this place is? Sure, no problem, no problem. And then they pause. They look up. If they did that, here's some word of advice. I just drove off. If you pause and look up, you don't know where you're going. One time my friends and I were in Berkeley, and we're teenagers, and this car stops and says, hey, guys, do you know where this place is? To which my friend says, absolutely, no problem. Go straight up here, make a right at that street. You're going to look for a coffee shop, make a left, go down three blocks, and then make another right at this store. Thanks, man. Have a great day. No problem, man. I turned to him, and I was like, dude, you're not even from around here. How'd you know that? He said, I didn't. I made it up. (laughs) Turn and tell somebody, that's messed up. That is messed up. Here's the truth of the matter. A lot of people feel like Jason. They feel lost in life. And when you feel lost, you're not sure where to go. You're not sure where to turn. You're not sure who to ask because you ask people, but they're as lost as you are. Or they give you bad directions and you end up in a place where you feel so desperate, so alone, so lost. Write this down. When you don't have a clear direction in life, you feel aimless. You feel like, You're not really sure which direction you're supposed to be going. You feel like life has no meaning, no direction. You're aimlessly walking through life, to which you then write this down, you wander. You just begin to wander around through life. You know, you can have a nice car, a nice house, and a nice job and still wander through life. Those things don't give you purpose. They don't give you meaning, and they surely don't give you direction. And then lastly, write this down, it leads to us experiencing unnecessary pain. Like there's some pain in life that you didn't have to experience, but we experienced it because we were lost. The Bible says this, look in your notes, without vision, people perish. Like without a clear direction for their life, we cast off restraints. It's like anything goes and there's no clear direction. We start crashing into stuff. That's why we need God in our life. It's interesting because being lost makes you late. How many times have you showed up to a place and said, I'm so sorry I'm late. I got lost. I wonder how many things you've missed out on life in life because you were lost. So many people have come to our church and said, man, I just wish I would have found Jesus three years ago, five years ago. It could have saved me a lot of unnecessary pain, a lot of wandering, a lot of feeling aimless. I could have been here a long time ago. Which again heightens the urgency for us to invite our friends and family members so they too can find a clear direction. This last week I was speaking in a great church in Washington State. And as I was there, I spoke and at nighttime Gabe was with me and we drove and we're driving on the freeway and there's a big rig truck, an 18-wheeler on the side of the road parked on the freeway, which isn't uncommon. The uncommon part was it was facing our direction. He got on the freeway going the wrong way. There's a sheriff there flashing lights, helping the brother out. And I just thought to myself, like, wait, how, how did he get on the wrong way? And how long was he driving the wrong way? Like, when did it occur to him, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I'm going the wrong way on the freeway? Was it the oncoming traffic? Was it the flashing lights? I don't know. Can I be the flashing lights in your life today to point you in the right direction? If you're feeling lost, turn to Jesus John 14, 6 says, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Nobody, don't think we can get to heaven without him. Here's the problem. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. Like it seems right. 
But the end is death. It's destruction. It's death spiritually, emotionally, relationally. It's not going to end up well. This guy that came on the freeway, listen to me. When he first got on the freeway, it seemed like it was the right road to take. And it was a few minutes later that he realized, "Uh uh-oh, this is not going to end well. I want to encourage every single person here, you need to discover God's purpose and direction for your life. Here's the deal. The guy who was driving the truck, he was there on the side of the road, and he now realized he was lost. He was on the wrong road. But now he has to figure out a way how to get on the right path. Now, there's some people, write this down, they feel lost and they don't know it. Like, they're lost and they don't even know. That's dangerous. It's like the guy riding on the road. He's lost. He doesn't know it. He could have run head on into somebody else. But then there's another group of people. They're lost. They know it. They're just not sure what the next step is. They don't know how to start going the right way. So here we are. We have two different groups of people. We have people who are lost and don't know it. Others who are lost and not sure what, what the steps are to take to get going the right way. And really the word that comes to my mind is disoriented. They feel disoriented in life. Which way is, is up? Which way is north? Which way do I go? It's like a football player on a football field running the wrong direction with the ball. He's got a lot of passion, a lot of speed, but he's not going to like where he ends up. And, and it doesn't just affect him. It affects his whole team. Decisions we make affect the team, affect friends, family members. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine with me, since Jason has come here and found direction in his relationship with Jesus Christ, the generations that will now be changed because of that one decision. <laughs> Write this down. Pastor Craig coined this a long time ago. Everyone ends up somewhere. On, somewhere. Few people end up somewhere on purpose. Everybody ends up somewhere. Like, you're going to end up somewhere in life. Few people actually end up somewhere on purpose. We as a church want to help you end up somewhere on purpose. At the end of your life where you say, I ran with purpose, I was made for purpose, God had a purpose on my life, and I ran according to his clear direction. Now listen, this is not in your notes, but you might want to write this down on the margin. That you find direction when you find meaning. And you find meaning when you find Jesus. Let me say it again. You find direction when you find meaning, and you find meaning when you find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there is no clear direction. But with Him, you end up getting a right now GPS system, God's positioning system. We're going to play Name That Tune through the whistle. And I'm going to whistle. You're going to name the tune. My wife makes fun of the way I whistle. She says my lips disappear. And I don't appreciate the mocking or the laughter. But here we go. Maybe hum it? <laughs> you are alive in us. Nothing can oh, take your how did I miss that? No. Come on, dude, even the camera crew got that camera one. Camera crew got that one. What's going on with this whistle? This bottom lift comes way out here. Your face is all I see. You are my Jesus Christ, you are my one.
desire. Your face is all I see. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one. Every story is relatable to some degree, and everybody relates a little differently. There might be one story that kind of pulls at you more than another one does, but we all recognize the grace of Jesus on every single one of these lives. This next story, this next life that has been changed here at the church is a very special. A lot of people love this lady. She's such a sweetheart. She's actually one of the tutors at our Bible college. She's a whiz and a brain, but she has such a heart for, for God, such a heart for young people. Phyllis is an extraordinary woman, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. All right. You ready? Let's go. Phyllis. Phyllis from Church Home Invasion. Hi. How are you? Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phyllis, so much for taking time to sit down and share your story with us. I've heard so much about you. The college kids love you. You're one of the tutors at our Bible college, and um, I know they just have endeared themselves to you. But why don't you share with me a little bit about your story? Take us back to before Fellowship Church. Where were you? What was your life like during those time, during that time? Well, I was on a very long, difficult grief journey. And I wasn't the person that I used to be. I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. The hardest and most difficult grief journey for me was my youngest son was murdered in the line of duty as a Pittsburgh police officer. Um, he was fatally shot during a foot pursuit of people that had just robbed a bank and a grocery store. My son was killed in 2005, but in 1973, his biological father, my husband, was also murdered. Different circumstances, he was just a, a victim, wrong place, wrong time. I had not really dealt with his death, I don't think, um, very well because I had two little kids to raise at that time and I was focused on going back to school and getting an education so that I could provide for my children. So I think I buried a lot of grief for him. And then when my son died, it all came to the forefront and so when my son was killed and all the stuff about my husband came up and all the the memories of seeing people die violently um, I just wasn't really able to function anymore I was in bed so depressed covers over my head I didn't want to face the world at all and a friend came up handed me a letter. It was actually the letter I had written to myself. So when I opened it, it's when I got angry with God because it was folded so that the first thing you saw was in big letters, please keep my children safe. So intellectually and emotionally, I knew God didn't murder my son and I didn't blame him. But when I saw that, I got really angry. And I carried that anger and I kind of distanced myself from God. I didn't turn to him at all. I, did, I backed away and um, I felt really alone and I, I felt an enormous pressure. I had all this anger and rage inside me of, of the impact that my son's murder had had on me, 
had had on my daughter-in-law, that my my grandson didn't have a father, that my uh, older son didn't have a brother. I was just so angry. And I was angry because the one thing that I asked the most, God didn't come through for me, I felt like. Remember the day that I feel the Holy Spirit, not I feel, I know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And it was that total moment where for the first time I felt any peace in my heart. And the Holy Spirit said, I did answer your prayer. You didn't ask to keep your son with you. You asked to keep your children safe. And there's no place safe than in God's arms. And at that moment, it was like like a baby being soothed. I, I felt more peace than I had in years and years and years. And then I knew I wanted to get closer to God again. I came to fellowship kind of in an odd way. I met a guy in the hot tub here. <laughs> he was in the hot tub. He was a young father. He had two kids. He said, you know, I go to a great church. Why don't you come to church with me? You'd love my church. <laughs> and I went. At that time, he was still in the community center. And when I came to fellowship, and you, the first thing, or the first thing I saw were all these young people and they radiated caring, concern, goodness. It made me feel restored. I came up to you afterwards, and I talked to you for a little bit. Uh, I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed your service and what you said in your message. And you said, go to a freedom group. And that's what I did. I went to a freedom group, and we became such close friends. We have dinner together. We'll go to a movie together. We're just tight friends. And then I decided I was going to lead my own small group. So I did a small group called Salsa Dancing in the Park. Wow. And that was really fun. I want to do that every year. I served uh, as an usher and uh, the tutoring I love. And then I mentor a very wonderful young lady. <laughs> She's one of our, the camera team. Yes, she is. <laughs> I think God wants me to serve in the college. He, he wants me to be with young people to heal myself as well as help them. And I think he wants me to um, be with other people on a grief journey. What would you say to people who are where you were? I think sometimes people hold back tears trying to be strong, but tears are a language that God understands. If, you, if you're going through the trauma of losing a relationship, like a divorce, I know there's a small group for that. We have so many small groups that fits people's need. Answer me this one question. This is sure. a deeper question. Mm -hmm. Where would you be without fellowship? I think without fellowship, without the church, I don't think I would have joy in my life. I think I would still be in turmoil, and I would basically be marking time. I don't think I would be making use of my gifts and my experiences. Our life is actually very short, 
and our eternal life is going to be so long. And I just know that I want to live the most purposeful life that I can because I want to make sure that I'm with myself. My name is Phyllis Lasseter Loya and I love my church. Never underestimate the power of a hot tub invite. Church is a lot of things. It's a place to find hope. It's a place to find healing. And write this down in your notes. It's a place to find significance. It's a place to find significance. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul was writing. He says, for we are God's handiwork. God created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared, watch this, in advance for us to do. Like God had, had, he had purpose before there was a you. And our job as a church, we want to help you discover what makes you unique. Here's the deal. Her problem didn't go away. She just now found a reason to live. She found something greater to live for. And all of us need significance. Significance, though, is only found in a relationship with Jesus. So that's why it's so critical, write this down, that you know who you are in Him. It's knowing who you are in Christ. I could have chosen a hundred different verses to put on the notes, but 1 Peter 2.9 kind of tells you who you are. He says, but you are a chosen people. How many thank God for that? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Is there anybody in the room today that's grateful God called us out of darkness and also called us into something greater? Once you were not a people. Like we weren't even a people, but He's now made you the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy in Him. Know that. Be grateful for that. Live like that. Because God wants to change your life. So know who you are in Christ. And then number two, write this down. It's this. It's serving others in your gifts. Serving other people in your gifts to make a difference for eternity. Jesus said this. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Great. Serve. The greatest of these must be a servant. Say servant. Proverbs comes along in chapter 11, verse 25, and says this. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Many times when we're going through a season of difficulty, we're not trying to refresh anybody. We're just like, focus on me. Hey, everybody, it's just me, myself, and I. That's an unhealthy small group on any day of the week. When you focus on yourself, you become further depressed. You've, you climb deeper into the pit. And I'm just saying, I'm not negating the fact that you went through a difficult season. I'm just saying, if you want healing, it's going to come from Jesus Christ healing your heart and then you turning around and finding out a way to make a difference in other people's lives. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? And how we do that at this church is four things. We're really about four things. It's knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, and make a difference. Say this with me. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. One more time, nice and loud. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. We want you to know God. We'll introduce God to you and your friends on Sundays. But then we want you to find some freedom, and that comes through relationship. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another, and you can be healed. There's a healing that takes place. Some of you are like, what's so spiritual about salsa? She's leading a salsa dance, like small group. What's so spiritual about that? Because in the beginning or the end of that, there will be some prayer. There'll be a testimony, a scripture, and people begin to do life together, and they become family. I'm telling you, it's relationship with people going the same way as you. And then we want you to attend the growth track. It's happening every Sunday, the first Sunday, second Sunday, third Sunday, and fourth Sunday of every month. 
And it begins, step one, step two, step three, step four. And you can jump in at any level, step one, two, or three. And you can jump in next week even. But we want to help you discover what makes you unique because God created you a 10 in some area. You may not be a 10 in every area, but you're a 10 in some area. You say, Rashawn, how do you know? Because I know who made you. And God doesn't make junk. Can I hear a good amen? And then do the ultimate is that's jumping on the dream team. Serve somewhere in the gifts to make more stories like this to change the world. I'm telling you, we all have a desire to be needed and to be known. But there's this threat of insignificance that plagues many people's lives. They're afraid that at the end of their life, their life wouldn't have mattered. It didn't count for anything. But I'm praying that you see God and that you see how He created you for a purpose to reach other people. Every day I tell my daughters, I love you. I love you. I love you. They get tired of it. Oh, yeah, I love you, Dad. Okay. I'm telling them, you're going to change the world. I love you so much. Why do I do that? Because I'm trying to get them to see how significant they are. In Genesis chapter 16, there's a story about Abraham and Sarah. And they're getting old in years, and God promised them a son. But it's just taking too long. How many know what that feels like? It feels like God's taking too long. And so Sarah comes up with a plan. She's like, hey, Abraham, this is taking too long. God promises the son. Why don't you sleep with my servant, Hagar? And the funny thing is, he didn't argue about it. He was like, all right. Slept with Hagar. Hagar became pregnant with a boy named Ishmael. And then drama starts happening. I mean, like, it, it was crazy. Sarah starts despising Hagar and makes it so difficult for her that Hagar runs away with her son. She's in the wilderness, and it's there in the wilderness that an angel of the Lord visits her and says, what are you doing here? And she begins to complain. I didn't ask for this. I didn't have a choice in this. I'm I'm just running away. And God's like, go back there. Submit yourself to Sarah and Abraham, but I'm going to bless you in the middle of all this. I see you. And she gave God a new name. You know what's crazy to me is that you can give God a new name based on how he ministers and shows up in your life. She says this. Look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. And then she goes on to say, for I have now seen the one who sees me. Look at me, look at me, everybody. This is important. God always sees you. That's a given. But there's something special and supernatural that happens when you finally see the God who sees you. Everything changes in that moment. Everything changes at that place in your life when you can see him, the one who sees you. Like Phyllis, she found significance here when she found Jesus. And it's here that for the first time in a long time, she finally saw the God who saw her. And everything changed. Her life has been transformed. Okay, write this last one down. Write this down. Who's still out there? Who is still out there? Yes, Jason has found, he's found healing and he's found direction. Yes, Phyllis has found significance and hope. Yes, yes, yes. But there are still more. It's great when you see the God who sees you. That's amazing. But the same way God sees you, He sees the lost. It's amazing when you see the God who sees you, but even greater when you see the God who sees you and how He sees other people. When your heart begins to break for other people. There's a story in the Bible about 
a hundred sheep. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is my heart for you. It's my heart for people who are, who are lost. He says, a shepherd had a hundred sheep. He lost one. Well, he left the 99 because he knew they were found already. And he goes after the one to save that one. He says, that's my heart for you. December 7th, 1988, in the country of Armenia, there was a father who dropped his boy off at school, kissed him, hugged him, watched him go into school, got in his car and drove off. As he drove off, there was an enormous earthquake that hit that country. 25,000 people died that day. The car is shaking. Everything is moving. The father dramatically, frantically turns the car around and begins to head back to the school. As he's racing back to the school, he sees building after building that have collapsed. People are wailing in the streets, and all he can think about is his son lost in that school. He comes to the school, but the school has collapsed, fallen flat in front of him. He goes over to the place where he thought the approximate location of his kid's classroom would be, and he begins to dig. For eight hours, he's digging. But there was no sign of life. He begins to dig for 10 hours. 12 hours, 24 hours, still no sign of life. Other parents and teachers are coming over, consoling him, crying, saying, we're so sorry for your loss. We're so sorry. It's over. Stop digging. But he refused to stop. He keeps digging. Now 30 hours, no break. 32 hours, nothing to eat. 36 hours, he's exhausted. And on the 38th hour, he reaches down, moves a big boulder, and he hears a child's voice. To which he screams, Armand, is that you? And the little child's voice says, Dad, it's me. It's Armand. I'm here. And immediately the child turns around and he tells his other classmates, See, I told you my dad would come for us. I told you he would come. Other students and parents and teachers begin to move the debris. Thirteen boys and girls were trapped for 38 hours with no food, no water, but they were now saved because of one father's determination. Hands bleeding. It didn't matter. He was on a mission to save his son. And he hugged his boy like he never hugged him before. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you today that there are still others. There are other people around us who feel buried because life has collapsed on them. They feel buried because of sin. And other people are saying, no, 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 there's no use. There's no hope. They're just lost. No, I'm telling you, we can see them. But can you see them the way God sees them? These stories have been amazing over the last several weeks of this series. You've heard story after story of transformation. It's been amazing. They're precious to God and they're precious to us. But there are still others. There's still others like Jason who feel lost. To others like Jason who feel lost, we say, hang on. We're coming for you. To others like Phyllis who feel broken, hang on. We're coming for you. To others like Justin and Amanda who feel empty, hang on, we're coming for you. For those like Shatori who feel hopeless, hang on, we're coming for you. For others like Tim and Mafel who feel, who feel lonely in life, hang on, because we're coming for you. For others like Reuben and Rika who feel hollow on the inside, hang on, we are coming for you. For others like Antonio and Martha who feel disconnected, hang on, we're coming for you. And for those like Darren who feel like they want to end their life, and they're at their wits end. We say as a church, we see you. Hang on. We are coming for you. God sees you. And so do we. Hang on. 
Hang on because we're going to plant more campuses. Hang on because we're going to start more small groups. Hang on because we're going to join the growth track. Hang on because we're going to join the dream team. Hang on because we're going to invite our friends to church. Hang on because we're going to invite our friends and we're going to serve our city. Hang on. We will point people to Jesus. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Because we are, as a church, we are on a, we are a search and rescue mission to save God's lost kids. And there are those who feel empty and hurting and broken. We as a church are coming. We're going to lift every boulder that we possibly can. So the church cannot just be about us. It has to be about Jesus and those who feel buried in life so that they too can experience the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. Come on, if you believe that, let's clap our hands and say a good amen. It's who he is and that's why we exist as a church.